This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome again to Christchurch Jerusalem for our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, excellent, everybody can can join here, particularly in podcast land for those that you who are listening. Uh, most welcome to be part of our community and family. We are wrestling with the last words of Moses. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 24, as Moses stands before the children of Israel and uh, and prepares the people of Israel to be the people of, of God as they enter the, the land, the, the land of Canaan in conquest, and yet to set up a just an honourable society that reflects the character, uh, benevolence, and love of God, a light to the Gentiles. Um, so as uh, is this our tradition, uh, we acknowledge the Lord's presence amongst us and his kingship and authority through prayer. Uh, Brother Neville, would you be able to pray us in? Yes. Uh, yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. We pray, Lord, that you would honor us by your presence and by your Holy Spirit, you would guide Aaron as he he speaks these things. And Lord, as we listen and contribute, Father, we pray that you would be honored and that you would lead us into your truth. Amen. Amen. All right. So we go over the uh, last week's reading, which was chapter 23. So the summary was actually quite a long one two pages this time, so it's not normally this big. Um, <clears throat> but there was a lot of information uh, thrown in into one chapter. So here is a summary from Deuteronomy 23 and our discussion that we did around it. One of the first commandments that uh, God gave Israel following the exodus from Egypt was to construct a tabernacle. God had also come out of Egypt with his people and now desired to dwell amongst them. Many times a year, the people were to assemble before the Lord. However, Moses reminds the people that actually not everyone is permitted assembly in the presence of, the, of God. God is life and death may never enter his presence. God is perfect and the blemished may also not enter his presence. In this chapter, God forbids the eunuch and the illegitimate from assembly before God. Now, this is not exclusion from the people of Israel as a whole. For the blemished, the emasculated, the maimed, and the broken were also freed from Egypt. They are part of the people of God, but they are unable to appear before the Lord. They are still loved by God. Later, the prophets will declare that God will invite the eunuch, the illegitimate, and the foreigner to come into his presence. And this is clearly seen in Isaiah 56, 3 to uh, 6, that perhaps explains why the Ethiopian eunuch of Acts 8 read the Isaiah scroll as he returns from worship in Jerusalem. So what do we learn from this? We acknowledge that God is holy, and this is reflected in what and who and in what way God is to be worshipped. Our modern-day approach to holiness and the sanctity of God can so often fall short as we embrace the friendship of God, which is true, but diminish the fear of God, which is also true. 
Hence, in our modern world, we find ourselves appearing before God in skimpy clothing and singing inappropriate self-centered worship songs. The sins of the fathers can cross generational boundaries, and Moses excludes the nations of Ammon and Moab from communion with Israel. These nations were born of incest through the daughters of Lot and had sought to curse the people of God through Balaam. Balaam is one of the seven Gentile prophets of the ancient world. Four chapters are dedicated to his story in the book of Numbers, which highlights his influence in the sacred history of Israel. The Hebrew prohibition against Moab is in the masculine form, and thus Ruth, who is female, enters the family of God in the Davidic line. Israel has, had not departed Egypt alone. Egyptians had also had embraced the God of Abraham and had come with them, and they were to be included in the assembly of God, not as Jews, but as Egyptians. So too the people of Edom, who were the descendants of Esau, and thus kin to Israel. Once again, we see God delight to be in the presence of and to receive worship from Jews and Gentiles. Moses commands the people not to abhor an Edomite. Ironically, the most famous Edomite was King Herod, who was indeed abhorred by the Jewish people of his day. Looking to the prophets, we see from Isaiah 19 that God has a beautiful plan for the peoples of the Middle East, where Egypt is called his people, Assyria his handiwork, and Israel his inheritance. Holiness and cleanliness is next to godliness. Moses, in this instance, refers to the cleanliness of the military camp as the Israelites engage in war. God also journeys into battle with his people. He accompanies them through the movable Ark of the Covenant carried along by the Levites. Thus, if God is in the camp and God is holy, the camp should also be holy. So refuse, feces, filth, and all excretions are to be removed from God's presence. In today's society, these laws are followed by not taking the Bible into a toilet or a cemetery. We also have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our bodies, and thus we should endeavor to also keep filth in all its forms away from us. What fellowship has light with darkness, we might ask ourselves. Interestingly, Moses announces another category of people who can be included into the community, the escaped slave. Moses has already given instructions on the proper handling and care of Hebrew slaves. The slaves mentioned here are foreign slaves from neighboring nations who have heard of the freedoms of the Torah, uh, that the Torah obligates, and they seek sanctuary and security under the God of Israel. Paul instructs Onesimus, a slave, to return to his master, as Philemon should know the rules for the biblical care of slaves. More so now, as both slave and master share the same faith. Turning to financial matters, the tithe of ill-gotten gain is forbidden to be presented for the work of the Lord. Now, Moses singles out the gift from prostitutes, both male and female, as forbidden. By extension, we discuss the danger to the church and the believing community when we accept money from ill-gotten gain and the government. Doing so weakens the gospel message. For example, taking donations from a casino uh, 
which occurs in many countries. Casinos have to give a portion of their profits to charities. Did you know this? And I've actually worked for charities that receive casino money when I was a social worker in Australia. Okay. Now, <clears throat> for example, taking donations from a casino weakens our arguments against gambling. Taking government subsidies for Christian schools opens the school to the laws of equal opportunity, employment for atheists and practicing homosexuals. It's dangerous. And the advice from Moses should be to reject such financial support. Again, what fellowship has light with darkness, we might ask. Moses also instructs the Israelite community not to burden the poor with interests on loans. The foreigner, however, may be charged interest. This implies that the household of faith should seek to support, build up, encourage expansion, and otherwise use its financial resources in ways that do not hinder, diminish, or restrict growth. We bless each other financially in order that God's people can prosper and in turn continue to bless others. As the Messiah has said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Towards the end of the chapter, Moses reiterates the importance of keeping vows. What comes out of our mouths is important. Today's world does not care about oaths, vows, or our words. We actually have become accustomed to lies, so much so that in today's world, we seem to think that everything is a lie. We cannot distinguish what is actually true. The enemy, the father of lies, has worked his deceptions most magnificently. Oaths and vows are important, for even God himself makes oaths, as we noted in Acts 2, verse 30, and Luke 1, verse 73. Vows are not required of us, but when we do make them, we must be prepared to keep them. And finally, Moses once again allows the traveler the permission to glean from the fields. The Bible does not call this activity stealing. Instead, it is actually a form of hospitality and care of travelers and strangers. Applying this to our communities, we should always engage in the action of hospitality and not close our doors to the welcoming of the stranger. The lesson we learn is the community is larger than ourselves. And what we possess is, in the end, solely for the use of the kingdom. We bless the Almighty for what we have and bless others with the generosity that God has given us. To God be the glory. All right, so that's a summary of our, of our discussions uh, from, from last week. So turning to today's portion, Deuteronomy 24. Okay, so I'll read it. You guys follow along. I am reading from uh, an ESV. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, 
then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. That is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife, whom he has taken. No one shall take a mill or an up, upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers and the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. You shall purge the evil from your midst. Take care in a case of leprous disease to be very careful and do according to all that the Levitical priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor alone of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside. And the man to whom you shall make the loan shall uh, bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. For he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry out to you against you to the Lord and you are guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall their children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. All right, so these are the laws and the teaching that we're going to wrestle with tonight. So, Looking at the Peshat, at the simple uh, level first, before we delve into the exegetical bit. So anything there that stands out to you guys? Anything there that jumped out when you read it? Something that you noticed all the time? Or often, like me, something you noticed for the very first time, even though you've read it a hundred times? Uh, to me, it reiterates the golden rule. Yeah. You know, he says several times, remember you were, remember you were. So he's telling people to uh, have compassion and do unto others as you would have them do unto you, basically. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd like to say that I loved your comment about 
praising the Lord in skimpy clothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've actually stopped doing that these days. Uh, They're all very appreciative at church. I can imagine. Um, And then I just wanted to make a comment that I think these widows have it made. You know, there are all these provisions for widows. So, yeah. I guess they've got to accept it without smiling too broadly. eh? Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you guys did all the work and I'm now going to eat. Thank you very much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's amazing that this is not the first time Moses has said this. God actually has this law listed, uh, I think, nearly six times in the book of Deuteronomy of, of gleaning of different ways of of how you have to make sure that your property is available to the poor and the oppressed and the widow, which is very interesting, and the sojourner. Mm -hmm. I found verse 4 interesting, you guys, that um, it's a verse I've noticed before, but uh, it says that uh, the concept of having a wife and then having uh, uh, having another husband and then... uh, having a later husband, I mean, and then um, the former husband must not uh, go back to her because that yeah. is a detestable thing. In my footnote, it says like a detestable thing or an abomination. So it's something sacred about our sexuality that God, you know, with one one man, one woman, and you can't go back to your old husband once you've had a second right. man. Kind of. Yep, that's right. The, um, the Dead Sea community, for those that read um, anything from the Dead Sea uh, scrolls. They were just like uh, you, Sharon, very adamant that um, marriage is between a man and a woman and that's it because they noticed they, they their argument wasn't God made Adam and Eve. It was God put pairs of animals on the ark, okay, which I thought was an interesting comment by them that they would go, ah, this is the way, you know, even, even creation knows that you're you're meant to be paired up not uh in uh, in multiple marriages and so it's very interesting that a, that a jewish community um about 100 years or 200 years prior to jesus would 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 note this in their comments okay so yeah. anyway and they, and they didn't have mark 10 yet maybe yeah no, they didn't have Mark 10 yet. No, that was definitely, but that's again, that's, that's just about divorce. But anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> I enjoyed verse 5, uh, just as someone who's only been married for about a year and a half or so. Uh, about, you know, newly married, not going out to the army or any public duty, but just enjoying your first year of marriage. And just, I don't know, it's actually very impractical. Uh, for a nation, but it's very kind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so my my um, uh, ESV has um, to be happy with his wife, but they do include the footnote, which is actually more what the Hebrew says to make his wife happy. Yes, I was just reading that. That's yeah. Nice. So, isn't that interesting that um, <laughs> the actual the actual command is get married and go make your wife happy. We don't, act, you know, it's not about you, dude. It's about uh, <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. making your lady happy. And, th- and I find that very interesting as a, as a text. Aaron? Yes, sir. To digress just a little bit, as I was listening to your compilation of the notes from last week. Yes. I, I believe that if I'm a person who hasn't been studying and following along and they were to listen to the 
to the, the compilation, one thing would stand out tremendously, and it's that this house of Israel is a mixed multitude. Yes, As it is. read through everything, it just seemed to just stand out nonstop. It's a mixed multitude of people. Yeah, you're right, Roddy. Ever since the beginning from the Exodus, it was Jews and Gentiles. Everything in the Psalms is, um, is, is uh, praise the Lord, you Gentiles. Um, the prophets are constantly, God hasn't forgotten the Gentiles. He's going to bring them in. Um, it's, it's actually quite incredible. Um, yep. I, I see it more and more now as I also study it as well. It's the one new man was always meant to be this way. Big deal. Aaron, the one that... Uh, and also, just to make a comment. Uh, all right. On what um, Aaron said um, earlier on concerning how practical it could be for uh, one to be off duty for a year. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, when uh, Moses was listing the same, um, the same law, he actually listed four things that um, will deter somebody from going to war. Um, it talked about um, anybody that is fearful, that yes. um, should, not, um, should not go to war, the person should go back. Then the person that has just married, uh, the person that has just built a house, and the person that has just um, planted a vineyard. Um, and for those reasons, each of those ones, he gave the reason that so that the person, the person doesn't die and another take over the, the, the vineyard or the house. Uh, and so for that reason, not that it's not going to work, it's just that it's not going to be in warfare, a military engagement so that, so that he doesn't, um, you know, lose his life and another take over. Mm-hmm. Yep. Later on, Yeshua doesn't let them use that excuse, you know. Let the dead bury their dead and then come on, you know, mm-hmm. come with me. This is your chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's one thing right. that one thing that jumps out is um uh where the Lord says that um uh Moses was telling them parents shall not be put to death for their children. Yeah. No, the children put to the death for the parents. The person shall be put to death for the death only for his own crime. Um, but, you know, in, in Exodus, Adonai has introduced himself to, to Moshe, telling him um, the Lord that visited the iniquity of the fathers upon the children up to the third and fourth generation. And yeah. this seems to be in contradicting of um, what, how he has introduced himself. I was wow. just going to say that funny that you've mentioned that. I think Mordecai... Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, Samson, we're on the same line because it says, but then I was looking on Exodus 25 and it says, yeah, they, they use that a lot here in Brazil. Like when you, yeah, with the, you know, the, 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 uh, Mount, whatever, when you're the, uh, when you're, oh gosh, maldicion, when you're, you get curses, but, but the interesting thing in verse 25, it says to those, so visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And in Deuteronomy, it just says that in that you're going to be uh, put to death for your own sin. So there's a difference between, you know, 
uh, abhorring God and going against him as opposed to just sinning against him. So, yeah. but I thought that so, was a very interesting, I had the same yeah. observation, Jameson. That, that, that's an excellent observation and we may as well talk about it just briefly now and then get into it uh, when we get to the verse. Whenever we find what appears to be in contradiction, what does that mean for us guys? That means the opportunity to delve in and learn something. Yes. <laughs> yes, play. That's right. And um, and so it's it remember, Jewish people do not read the Bible and go, oh my gosh, this contradicts this, and oh my, and our Bible is false, and we should uh, we should you know throw it all in and become pagans. No. It's when there is a, a what attention in the text, that's when you leap in and learn something about God, and we will. We will, we will look at these, these passages that seem to be in contradiction. And then also remember from our Hanukkah lecture that by, this, by the end of the late Second Temple period, they had already developed a, a theology that says, actually, you can die for other people. Not only that, you can actually die for the, for the earth itself. You can actually, not only can you, Kedush Hashem, sanctify the name of God, can actually purify the land of God. Uh, and then the New Testament follows through with, well, actually, you can purify people. And, uh, and the, best, the best of all would be the Messiah himself. All right. So, yeah, lots real, to learn. Yeah. real quick on that, um, uh, interesting that uh, there, they, there is a verse that's taken from the Hebrew Bible uh, when, when somebody dies for the sake of, of others or for the Torah. Yep. It says that you, when you study the words of Torah, it needs to be for life so that there's, a, there, there's you know, the, the sages, whatever they say, that you're not supposed to remember that person. That person shouldn't be uh, written about because uh, they take that verse from Leviticus. because I don't remember which one, but it says that you can't because for the sake of Torah, you need to live. Are you familiar with that? Uh, no, but I'll, I'll have a look for it when we, when we get around to it, especially for our notes. I'll make a little note and, and jump in. One right. more thing that I've noticed that sure, sure. nobody's mentioned before. Um, the poor are expected to work. Like yes. Um, yes. there's encouragement several times to make a way to help people work. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. Canada, uh, there's been talk about universal income. So that's a huge topic. But I think this is very interesting that uh, the rich people are encouraged to like make, make a work project for poor people so that they can keep their dignity and not uh, just get handouts. That's a very good point, Sharon, because there's actually a parallel um, passage in the New Testament, like there's lots, <laughs> they're, 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 um, where, where Paul encourages those uh, to, uh, that don't have a job to get a job and his, his, his very next sentence is, go get a job so you have something to share. Mm -hmm. and the sort of idea is, you know, he doesn't want people sitting around doing nothing. No, 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 let's get work. Let's all get jobs. Let's get, and we'll just keep sharing and the, and the, and the community will just keep sharing and growing and learning. Yep, you're right. Right here in Moses, as we're about to enter the people of the land of Israel, Moses is trying to make sure that the poor will be encouraged through the use of uh, dignity, uh, very cheap loans, um, uh, support, so that they will work, they'll become productive members of, of the community, um, which will benefit uh, the people of God and reflect God's character ultimately. 
All right. So let's have a look at uh, the initial, what we would consider perhaps, or was given a title in many books, The Laws Concerning Divorce. So the first four verses. So when a man takes a wife and marries her and he finds no favour in his eyes, because she, uh, he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts her in the hand, sends her out of the house, she departs out of the house, then she goes and becomes another man's wife, and then later on that didn't work out, or he died. He is not allowed to marry her again. As we note, this is actually abomination before the Lord. And the last sentence of, of uh, these divorce laws are, you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So it's a very interesting uh, law which concerns the stability of the family within the community, um, which has an effect on the ground itself, which is actually a theme which is uh, very prevalent in the Torah, that human sin affects the earth as does holiness. They both have a positive and a negative effect. It's not magic. I'm not advocating magic or anything like that, but there is an effect on <laughs> the earth itself. Okay. So, so Aaron, yes, sir. This is where I would say that the uh, paragraphs and breakages cause a potential problem because as Aaron Gunn or Gunn pointed out before, this next sentence maybe should be read first. Could be. Because instead of displeasure of the man, it's about making sure the wife is happy. Is happy. Yeah. They're, um, there's, they seem to be reversed. Yeah. And, and many of the commentaries also dictate that the same goes true for the woman, just so you know. Okay. Ah, very good. Yes, yes they do. Um, so marriage and family stability is uh, an in inherent principle within the community of God. This is the way God had set up the earth. This is what is stable within society. And so we need to protect marriages. We need to protect families and the stability of families, which would then um, protect the society. And we can see this in our, in our modern day. Divorce rates are up and uh, this causes all kinds of problems with our children uh, and crime rises and, and, and the, the, the sheer number of problems that then stem from the family breakdown. And yet our communities, our secular societies, don't do anything to value families. They don't do anything to promote a family. They don't do anything to um, try and maintain stability within a family. In fact, they do the opposite. They often try and make it as easy as possible to break that up, but not the people of God. This is not the way Moses is directing the people of Israel here. So, first, of Aaron, all, can I share um, a thought that's in, in the in the uh, footnote of my study Bible here? Well, one one factor possibly is to do with the wife bringing a dowry to the marriage. So it says here that um, uh, by charging his wife with this kind of indecency, the first husband acquired her dowry, um, <clears throat> her, you know, her father's marriage present to her when he divorced her because just by she couldn't take a dowry with her if, if she mm -hmm. was found to be uh, disgraced in that way. And, but remarrying that same woman because she would have gone to her second husband with another dowry, and then 
by remarrying her, he he wouldn't be able to get an, another slice of the dowry from that same family. So that there's an we we don't tend to think of things in that in that way, but right. maybe this was kind of obvious to them that that this would be there will be a financial benefit if you could kind of allegedly accuse someone then have them back and have a, a double dowry from, from maybe a rich family. Could be. Yeah. I had, yes, I, that I've got the same footnote as you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it was a very interesting little point. Absolutely. Uh, does everyone understand what Neville was saying? Is that in the ancient world that uh, women came with dowries as, as actually still do in many cultures to this day. And um, there might have been a situation where men were divorcing and remarrying the same woman so as to get a double dowry and mm-hmm. so as to get to milk a richer family for, for more money. It's possible, absolutely. Um, what, what is noticed is that divorce is allowed, permissible, in Israel, but it is regulated. It is not that the man can just stand up and go, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, I divorce thee, and that's it. He has to show cause. And not only does he have to show cause, but he has to actually write it out and put it in her hand. And so this, it isn't just a... Uh, a verbal thing. This actually is something written and therefore is legal with witnesses and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so there has to be cause. So what would be the cause, I hear you ask? So what do you think? The text doesn't initially say. So what do you think? Well, if I would think the, the automatic assumption is that she wasn't a virgin when she came. Okay. To- that's Yes, that's from the previous uh, couple of chapters. Yep. The, um, the the strong emphasis on virginity in the ancient world. Yeah. In fact, Sarah, you know, that's, where... the, the Torah did not expressly say what it is. Um, in, in my translation, it says for something obnoxious um, about her. If the man finds something unpleasing about her. Yeah. And that has caused a big um, debate in, in ancient time especially the house of Hillel and the house of Shemai. Correct. They, 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 they always ask what's, yeah. And that's why in the book of Matthew chapter 19, um, the Pharisees came to Yeshua and they asked him, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? You know, it's referring to this because um, for Hillel, he believes that um, even if the woman decides to burn the food, then the man has the right to, to fire her. Or if one day he wakes up and he doesn't see her beautiful anymore, it, 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 can, it can fire her and says, no, you're no longer the wife. Of course, we know what um, Yeshua's position was. Um, this, um, this, this line actually defines what the intent of the person that is trying to, you know, do the divorce. Now, for, for here, there are two things that I could see. One, God wants to, wants to protect the sanctity of marriage by saying that there is a limit to what a woman can do. In other words, not that you can just have your way, you can sleep with any man and return back to your husband and you can be forgiven. Um, in fact, when in some, in some midrash, it says that even when the man wants to forgive her for going to commit adultery, he cannot because the Torah says that the land will be defiled. And so yeah. it's kind of put a limit 
on, on the man also, so that the sanctity of marriage can be protected from all sides, which is the very, very important thing that Yeshua was even emphasizing. Right. So first of all, guys, does everyone understand what Shimshon was, was bringing at the start, that there is a debate between Hillel and Shammai over this verse? Everyone understand? So well, my version says, Aaron, my version says uncleanness. So what would be uncleanness? In that right. That, that, that's the question. So the text doesn't say, doesn't elicitate an uh, example of what this means. So variety of schools developed within the Jewish community, as we, as we know. The two major ones, of course, Hillel and Shammai. And Hillel took a, a rather more freer approach to the Torah in many things. And in, and in this case, he said, listen, um, uh, if the man finds anything that makes him unhappy or he, in his eyes she's unclean or in anything, um, including burning breakfast, he can divorce her. Right? That was our little friend Hillel. And uh, Shammai took a much more stricter view. He said, no, absolutely not. The only thing that can actually permit a divorce is adultery. And so what does Yeshua say? He says exactly the same as Shammai, actually, in this mm -hmm. case. He says, no, the sanctity of marriage, God has created this union. It is so special. Nothing breaks it except once you've broken your, your vows. Okay? Um, and even then word there though Aaron for unclean like what is the Hebrew word it's the same as those previous passages about uncleanness versus sin like a specific thing that you know your 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 menstruation or you know certain things made you unclean right it my, version, breakfast. my version says uncoveredness he, right. if he his eyes because he found a matter of uncoveredness yeah indecency is my is my version Okay, off the top of my head, I don't have it, but I'm going to look for it in a second. Um, the, but as we're doing that, what we notice, a couple of things is, one, this sin has something to do with the land, okay, so our connection to the very earth itself. Uh, but there is, it is, there is a certificate, which means it's legal and recognized, just like a marriage, right? You know, you get married, you stand before God, and then you, you get a piece of paper and you put it in a, in a jar somewhere. Um, the same with uh, a divorce. And in, in, in modern Judaism, uh, that's called a get. Okay. Uh, uh. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew uh, word used to be as ervat. Yeah, ervat. Mm -hmm. yeah. And at least Brown Driver Briggs is saying it's related to like a shameful exposure of nakedness. That's, right. That's it's, a, it's a biblical Hebrew word because it's got the ein in it, so it's not a modern Hebrew word. Um, yeah, it's it's got something to do with with that, but it does. But it's unclear. It's just it's just a word to describe something larger than what we're thinking that it is. Okay, guys. So old biblical word. It's got an ein in it, as opposed to an aleph, which is a more modern Hebrew uh, expression for for modern Hebrew words. Okay. Um, it it, uh, it it seems to imply, though, some sort of sexual immorality, which is exactly what we see the Yeshua align with, mm -hmm. right? Um, and Shimshon's right. They come to Yeshua in the Gospel of Matthew, and they're saying, hey, you know, we're kind of with the school of Hillel. We kind of think you are too. You know, can we divorce our women for anything? 
And Yeshua turns around and goes, what? Not, absolutely not, you know, you, and, and switches and, and, and goes more with, um, with Hillel. So isn't that interesting? Bad shepherds have turned around and said, we can, do, we can get rid of women whenever we feel like it and, and tear marriage apart, which is exactly the situation we've got today. And uh, that's bad. So brothers and sisters, the community of the people of God cannot do this. And, um, and we should uh, teach, preach, and show that this is not the way that is um, uh, uh, done. It's not a command to get divorced. Let's note that. It's just a permission. That does not mean it, this is what God wants. It just means there's a permission. Malachi right. um, 2, God hates divorce. God never right. hates divorce. Yeah. And, and, and as, you, as Jesus says in, in the Gospels, he says it was because of the hardness of your heart, right, and vice versa, right? The woman can also have a hardness of her heart, right? What was it that made her go and chase after another guy? Or him go and chase after uh, another girl. It was the hardness of our of our hearts, and that's something that is that is actually said in a negative way. However, brothers and sisters, let's also remember there is the ability to forgive, right? Which is also permissible. And so you find that there is there are prophets who are who marry prostitutes who go whoring, and yet they don't get divorced. There is the possibility of uh, forgiveness. You know the one I'm talking about, Hosea. And, uh, and, and so we have to remember that, that, um, that uh, within this context, the ideal is that our communities and our societies are made up of couplings. Remember, when God started creation, everything is in a coupling. Heaven and, heaven and earth, light and darkness, day and night, good and evil, male and female, we're all in, in pairs. And uh, it's a delight for the Lord for, for him to see that and to co-join with, with those couplings, and he likes it. Um, and we should do our best to preserve them. This is the, 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 what will create a stable Israel that will be a light to the nations. People will want to flock to this nation because of the way that they uh, behave. And, um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and so we also have to also note, on the other hand, that when a divorce does happen, it's permanent. Isn't that an interesting thought, right? And, and Shimshon's mentioned it as well uh, earlier, is that marriage is meant to be permanent, but if it doesn't work and you get divorced, well, that's permanent too. And, uh, and you don't bring uh, sin back on, on the earth. And then you get that interesting discussion that you had with the idea of dowries as to how does this sin affect the, the land. We're not 100% sure uh, exactly, but the context is there that um, uh, we need to be careful with our marriages. We need to be careful when our marriages are not working so that uh, we don't bring defilement on the, on the earth. And a defiled earth, what happens? What does the earth do when uh, it is getting tainted and stained by sin? Does anyone know? Groaning? It's in Leviticus. It dies. 
Evil yes, the people right. from the land. Yes, that's right, Shimshon. When the earth gets defiled, it says, okay, that's enough humans, and it, it kicks you out. And, uh, um, and it does so, as, as Roddy mentioned, you know, it stops raining, it stops producing food, all kinds of uh, things, wild beasts overpower us. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's very interesting that this, this, uh, this is going on. Um, Aaron? Yes, sir? It seems that society as a whole, over time, up until this very day in particular for us, we begin to redefine words, phrases, and the context to our meaning for our purposes, which consistently moves away from the written word. And this is the problem. It's not just today. It's always happened in the past. But for us, we see it uh, prolifically. It's right here in front of our eyes. Correct. And, and, and let's also learn from the past that when we do stray and when we do forget the Bible, let's remember the people of Israel forgot the Bible before we did. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they also found the Bible before we did. Right. You know, they have, they have the opportunity for restoration, for rediscovering the Bible and for falling in love with the Torah once again. Our societies have gone dark in the past, and then we've had the light given back you know, by good godly people and, and good godly monarchs and, uh, and mission societies and, and stuff. And so we have, have re-shared uh, the light. Um, so it's true. Our world is looking towards uh, heading into, or was heading into darkness again. But that shouldn't stop us from shining the light and or... Um, uh, sharing the truth so much so that we actually expect that uh, we can change the future. Right? Uh, we don't resign ourselves to running towards Armageddon, although that might be exactly where we're heading to, but we, we continually to uh, shine our light and continue to teach and continue to practice and continue to make disciples and continue to reveal the written word so much so that our communities and our churches and our Messianic congregations and the, the body of the Messiah can affect the planet once again. And, uh, and that's, and that's uh, what we should continue to work for. Hey, okay. Aaron, as... as um, Roddy said, in fact, um, Romans 1, verse 28 to 30, just kind of summarize what Roddy just said. Yep. And it says that, um, and just as they did not see it fit to recognize God, God yep. gave them over to a deprived mind to do what is not fitting. They became filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. They are very full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers. God haters, insolent, haunty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteousness, righteous decree. And, you know, it went on. It just kind of summarized what yeah. the world has become. Everything about God, they kind of hate it. If God says this is marriage, they want to do the opposite. If God says um, it is male and female, they just want to do the opposite. If God, everything yeah. God says, God said, this is life and you have to preserve it. No, they said, no, we are pro-choice. We have to kill the baby and all those kind of things. Yeah. It's just what. Yeah. 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 I know it, we have done this before. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, you wonder how long God will continue to suffer this. Um, 
And uh, but brothers and sisters, by the power of the Spirit, let's not give up. Hey, Aaron, um, yep. would this person that with this woman that that uh, becomes whatever defiled would have to go under that sota the uh, that ceremony and um, and then that's one question. Um, oh, do you mean where she takes the um, the bitter drink? Yeah, yeah, drinks the thing, the, okay. the ceremony sota, and then. How come that's only applied to the woman okay, right. and not to the man? Okay, so in the text, that's, it, it, num- it, numbers, it seems, numbers 15. Yeah. Numbers 5, 11 to 13. Is it numbers 15? Yeah. And, and okay, okay five, yes, numbers 5, sorry. Yeah, numbers 5. Yeah, so numbers 5 is that. Um, uh, in that case, it's applying to the woman because we're presuming that the drink is going to affect uh, her womb, which a man does not have. However, in, exeg- in Jewish exegesis, this portion that we've just studied um, seems to be very, you know, sort of male-centric, you know, uh, and blame it all on the girl. But they also acknowledge that they need to do their best to um, protect the rights of women. And so uh, Jewish exegesis, including the Mishnah, flips it over also to the man and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't uh, just say it's all about the woman. It also includes... Men can't do this, and men can't do that, and uh, and, and such. Um, so I know it reads in one direction, but Jewish exegesis makes sure that the woman isn't forgotten. Just so you know, okay? Yeah. They don't have to drink anything, though, right? They don't. No, have the to men don't have to drink anything except for uh, uh, wine at the end of the night. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But anyway. All right, so so let's go on to a bit more um, a more positive way, which is connected, okay, as Roddy said, because there's no 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 breaks. That God's way of honoring and blessing a marriage, because that's what He wants to do. Okay, He joined everybody together. He wants to honor and bless a marriage. Is that He makes sure that the uh, new couple get a year at home, okay, where the man's job is to make to bring happiness to his wife. Right. Aaron. Yeah. Go, David. May I ask something here regarding verse five? If we jump, if we look at Luke 14, specifically 20, uh, Jesus gives us the parable of the great feast, right? The call to the great feast. Now, in verse 19, the guy says uh, to the guy, I don't want to come to the feast because I've got a new wife and I need to go and make her happy. Yeah. According to that parable, <laughs> that was not quite correct, right? Right. And and I think the call, I think the call that the Lord is putting across there is actually this is the marriage feast of the Lamb, and this has got nothing to do with war or business. Right. In Luke, absolutely, that is exactly. So it's a, it's, it's a misinterpretation of that person during those times. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was. Trying to create use a, a a law to excuse himself from actually doing the true work of the kingdom, right? Which we are all unfortunately subject to doing, right? We 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 often can can convince ourselves that what we're doing is correct in the eyes of the Lord, where actually it has nothing to do with what the intention or the heart of God really was, and uh, um, and yes, yeah, so Luke is. Uh, well, Yeshua in Luke is pulling that guy up on that on that on that respect. 
Um, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want marriages to be blessed or to be happy, or he does not want to honor a new marriage by making sure that um, a new husband does not run off to war and die and leave his bride, you know, uh, distraught and devastated, but rather um, that he can uh, bring his wife happiness because it's another example of blessing others, right? What is the man's job? His job is to bless his wife, yes? And um, because, as Yeshua says, it's better to give than to get. Once again, you see that same theology running through both Hebrew Bible and into 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 Greek Bible. Uh, and so, Aaron, just a little observation about the exemption from military service. Yep. I notice in this passage and nowhere else in the Torah it mentions perpetual study as a valid excuse for military exemption. Where was this? Even if it's even if it's study of the Torah. Sorry, um, say that again. It doesn't. It, it doesn't mention Sorry. study as a possible excuse for um, yeah. <laughs> military exemption. Yes, this is true. Um, it is the Bible actually mentions that Levites and Cohens do go to war, and uh, it has come only about in the modern period where our uh, friendly um, Orthodox people decide that study exempts them from military service, uh, which is actually not what the, the Torah uh, actually actually says. Do, Although do you know how they justify it? Sorry, do you know how they justify it? I personally do not, although there are religious units, I know. And, um, and Mordecai, remember Mordecai, whom we've been talking about in the last couple of years? He also went to the army and uh, actually did service. There actually are religious units. And, uh, and, and what's really sad is that many of those religious soldiers are then become victims from the religious community themselves. Um, which is which is which is bad. Mainly because the, the largest the largest religious organization in 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 the world is Satma, Satma Orthodoxy, which is uh, anti-Zionist. Okay, it's uh, the largest Orthodox movement is actually essentially against uh, the, the the secular state um, in all of its forms, except to take its money. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, um, it's true. Neville's right. The, the military exemptions are not the study of Torah. In fact, it is encouraged that you will take God with you into battle, as we, as we mentioned Absolutely. in last week's, uh, last week's discussion. God travels with his heroes and goes and fights with them. All right. So after looking around at marriage and how we're supposed to bless them, uh, verse 6 Wait, now we're into, sorry, what is it, Roddy? Right. Before we leave, verse 5. Okay. Maybe we should be clear on what makes the wife happy. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, do tell, what, Roddy. Tell what, what, what is it that makes your wife happy? What, we would what love to know Bible, on air, recording for all the prosperity. <laughs> what does the Bible tell us makes right. the wife happy? Yeah. We, we look at Rachel and Leah and all the other examples and what in uh, Hannah. What is it that they are longing for? Children. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yep. And, and, one of, and uh, so one of the responsibilities of the husband is indeed to provide children for his wife. And as such, uh, he is not allowed to withhold 
children from from his wife. He actually has to uh, perform the deed to make sure uh, that she can actually have children. And, and, long and long suffering, Aaron. And there's, and there's probably, yes. Well, let's, let's be careful, David, with <laughs> uh, going there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has to, has to have a very good ear, but I'm sure that's not quite there in the text per se. But, uh, but yes. Um, according to modern Jewish tradition, I'm not quite sure exactly how far back it goes. I think it's actually in the Talmud. But um, the man has to provide three things for the woman. He has to provide food, shelter, and, and conjugal relations. So um, the, the wife, even if he finds disfavor with her, he's not allowed to divorce her if, if she hasn't done anything wrong. And if he hasn't done anything wrong, and he still must provide food, shelter, and conjugal relations. So be careful when choosing your wives. Be careful when choosing your husbands because, uh, you know, both marriage and divorce are permanent. Now, that does not sound like an oxymoron, but they are. Okay. All right. So uh, verse 6, now we're taking care of the poor again. In this case, verse 6, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking the life in a pledge. Okay. So what are they talking about here, guys? Is means to work. Correct. And um, what yeah, is it? Livelihood. Yeah. Millstone is with the, for the very basic grinding of grain. And mm -hmm. that's how you make bread. And even though we know man does not live on bread alone, but it sure does help. And what you can't take is you can't take people's livelihoods away um, uh, in the society, um, which uh, is, is a form of protectionism for the poor. Um, you can, there are obviously other things that they might be able to take, but you can't take their livelihood away. Um, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers or the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave, okay, then, um, then the thief dies. So you'll purge evil from your midst. What mm -hmm. story of sacred history does that resonate with in the Jewish world? for the last three weeks exactly brother <laughs> exactly we've just finished it yeah uh, but um, but it's true right you, the the Jewish people have a sacred story where uh, the brothers tried to sell one of their brothers uh, in, they sold him into slavery to the Ishmaeli and then subsequently to Egyptians and, and as what Joseph says which is a good passage on forgiveness, Yes, he says what you meant for evil, God has worked for good. But going into the land of Canaan, Moses wants to make sure you're not going to do this again. I know it's in sacred history. I know it worked out well. But you can't do this thinking that God's going to, you know, redeem everybody by turning your slave brother into a prince of Syria or something like that. Right? Um, this is not something you do. You actually purge this evil. So it's quite strong. Uh, language capital punishment as we've mentioned before does exist in the hebrew world and uh, on this case um it's in relation to kidnapping very serious crime okay that does not take away from the action of forgiveness that does not take away from the ability for god to make good things that are bad what it does set up is you're not going to kidnap and if you do do it and we catch you you're done um, that's part of our, our community. 
So, Aaron, what I find interesting about this is that it puts a distinction between people and things. Yeah. So, uh, in other words, there are no laws, as far as I know, that, that a capital offence is when it's things that are stolen. It'll be just restitution in kind. But when it's a person, that is a capital offence. So people are never, even how, how ever so lowly they are and poor and downtrodden, they can never be regarded as equivalent to property. That's a very good point, yes. So there are certain things you can uh, take from a poor person for his pledge, but not his means of livelihood. Take something else, okay? Something that's non-essential. It's just a thing. But, but, but Neville's right. Once you start talking about a person who's made in, made in the image of God, even if they're poor, that's not okay. And, uh, and it's a very serious point. Excellently said. Um, okay. So verse 8. This one is um, in terms of infectious diseases. Whoa, isn't that poignant for today's world? Okay. So let's see if we can learn something here, shall we? All right. Take care. Uh, in the case of a pandemic, in the case of leprosous diseases, to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, now, in which verses of the Bible do, does he mention that? It's in Leviticus 13 and 14. You have a, a series of rules as to what, you, what you're supposed to do once an infectious disease has been located within your community. So you shall be careful to do them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. So it's interesting that he brought... Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara, yes, and all of that that, that comes in. But first of all, uh, we've got a pandemic. Okay. So um, uh, let, let's, let's just do the Peshat level and then let's see what this looks like uh, from a more of a, a Remez uh, level as well. So we have an infectious disease. Now, we're not 100% sure exactly how infectious per se leprosy was <laughs> for other people. However, um, uh, there was the you you had to actually um, send them outside the camp, put them in quarantine. Right, there was a, a a level of quarantine that was actually ascribed to people who had infectious diseases. Um, and if you needed a, a proof case, a proof text that's to show you that no one was above quarantine, who does he bring in? His own sister. Right? And his own sister had leprosy given to her by God. And even though he was praying and interceding for God to remove, she still remained in quarantine all the times that she had this infectious disease. Okay. Um, so we had to protect the people with quarantine, which we don't do anymore. Okay, it's it's as uh, we were discussing this just as at the beginning, um, uh, the um, before we were beginning the study as people were coming in, that uh, uh, our all our efforts to quell the current pandemic, to flatten the curve, have all been fruit, fruitless, um, and one of the reasons, as well as anything else is there's no such real thing as quarantine in any of our societies. Have you noticed that? Like we've got this lockdown here in Israel, the third time, 
Um, and so I left my house yesterday and I hopped on the bus, which was largely full. Why? Because we've decided to reduce the number of buses. So now more people hop on the same, the, the limited number of buses, which completely defeats the whole point of social distancing. And then I went into the city and I went uh, to my office. I wasn't stopped by anybody or anything like that. Um, uh, I'm not saying that in a negative way because I really wanted to get to my office. Um, but this this idea of quarantine is something that we're not very good at uh, in any form. Um, we, uh, we, we, it doesn't matter what we do with viruses. We just seem to, to keep them. However, for, for Moses here, you've got this leprous disease, uh, which seems to them to have been quite serious and you actually had a, a form of quarantine. Um, okay. Now, let's take that in a more spiritual level, can we? Does anyone have an idea of what this might be in terms of a spiritual application? Hello, Aaron. Yep. Yeah. Um, first, what was um, the leprosy of that time? And what we call leprosy in you know, today's world, medical world, are two different things. Mm -hmm. um, they were not the same kind of leprosy we, we what we call leprosy. So, but um, in ancient time, what uh, the translation always just call it leprosy. Um, some just call it skin infections and some other sure. things. Yeah. Then, because if you see it there, it's the um, they. I'm sure they had some kind of medical practices in that time. But in this particular case, it will be the Levites that will deal with the issue. And um, even with Yeshua healing um, the people with leprosy, what he had to tell them is that they need to go and show themselves to the Levite to certify them. So it was the Levite that had the power to certify people and to make them um, clean. And of course, on the spiritual level, it's, it's, it always points out that um, when, you live, when you live a very sinful life, um, which um, ultimately is what um, the... Oh, we, we missed you there, uh, Shimshan. You were right making your point, and you, and you got off. Um, while he comes back on, I, I had a, a something that came to mind. Um, you know, the Bible says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, and my husband and I, we lived in the Amazon. Our family and um, our 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 church uh, did work with a, a leper community. It's actually it was um, far away from. It was like outside of Manaus because they had like live lepers that would come from the interior of the Amazon, and yeah. that would get kicked out of their families. And so they came to this, it was a hospital, and even there was a, a pastor that had a call to be a leper in the community, to be a, excuse me, to be a pastor, and he pastored him and his wife. They were healthy, and they went into the community and uh, shared uh, the gospel and shared Yeshua with many of them, and they were saved, but they actually got a uh, leper. But it's, an, it's, a, it's amazing because we went into the hospital where we just had these lepers who were coming from the interior. They were like walking dead. 
And that that the whole idea of the wages of sin and that relationship with you can death. actually see it very very pointedly. See it, and I remember I played the violin, and they said, you know, oh, can you play the violin? And I was I didn't want them to. T- I said I'll go in and minister, and but I didn't want them to touch me. And then uh, one of the brothers said, well, if you don't go into the leper community and you don't touch them, then you shouldn't go in. So the Lord uh, worked with my, uh, he, you know, worked in our minds. My husband went in we went with our two small children. One was four years old and the other one was two. And it was such an amazing experience um, singing praises in the middle of this hospital. And they're all like on these carts, like literally like these um, wooden carts, so poor and so desperate. And I just think that the wages of sin is so it's like it's so corrosive it really eats us inside and there's that whole idea of the sin aspect which is so it's so dark and and horrible Mm -hmm. and um and then and it's it's contagious it's contagious and and and, and, and part of the reason that i didn't even want to go there and for two years they kept asking me to go in and work with the children. And I was so afraid that I would get leprosy. And I took me two years of praying to the Lord and we went in and these are active lepers. Mm-hmm. And the Lord protected us the several times that we went in and, and ministered. It was a blessing. And they were wanting to hear the sound of the violin and touching the violin and coming into my face. And they'd have no noses and no ears and just like, just an, like an up to the elbow. It was like scabs. It was horrible. But it was such a blessing. And then the other thing that, that, that brings this brings comes to mind is that imagine in the New Testament when um, Yeshua is curing and the lepers have to go and he says, go and present the, 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 uh, the present that, you know, you have to go present by the law. You have to go to, to, you know, the temple and present the present of Moses. Yep. And can you imagine that during, I mean, how many cases do we have in the Hebrew Bible of, of people being cured from leprosy and having it actually been written down? This is probably one of the only ones. We have Elijah, of course, but, but um, so can you imagine what a testimony to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the, the people in the temple when Yeshua is curing these lepers and they're coming and they have to present themselves. And what a testimony to Yeshua. That was something that really, really struck me with this whole passage. And I have one other observation. I don't want to take too much time, but remember we talked about um, when during the the laws of war, when you go in, of course, you know, Israel wanted shalom. They wanted peace with their neighbors. But uh, when they're, you know, the, the whole law for capturing a female slave, And I thought it was very interesting that in the capture of the female slave, you have the clothes, you have the washing, the shaving of the hair and isolation. And it's interesting in leprosy, in Leviticus chapter 14, it says the same thing. There's this clothing element, the washing, the shaving of the hair, and this isolation, just like there was an isolation of 30 days with the female captive. And I'm wondering, of course, different context, but I just thought the elements are similar. Is there anything there that we could bring into comparison? Could be. The uh, I know what Shimshon was uh, heading towards, because I've also made some notes according to that, is that um, uh, in a sinful life, sometimes the sinful life in our communities can get so prevalent it also needs quarantining. And you, even, you see it in Paul where he actually excludes uh, someone from the community 
or as he says, I have released him unto Satan. Um, we don't do that in our society, communities very much. In fact, we're very poor. In fact, we're often very good at keeping sin within the camp, only to infect other people, hoping that actually our goodness infects them first. Um, we have to be very careful. I'm not saying let's go ahead and grab anybody who's a sinner and throw them out because then we'll all be outside the camp and we'll all be sitting around going, gee, there's nobody inside the church because we're all outside now. Um, right. But, but there, is, there is a time when there is something that is so bad um, that, uh, that, that we have to do the, uh, the spiritual isolation. Um, uh, that doesn't mean we just stop praying for people. It doesn't mean that uh, the text doesn't say that, of course. Here it's, the text is actually referring to actually just a physical disease. Um, the things that you were describing um, were very beautiful and very precious and very meaningful and for a lot of us, um, the, the ability to love and overcome uh, death with life is exactly the gospel, I think. Um, but in terms of like the spiritual plague, which we find within our communities, um, we do have to deal with it in some way. And so as a family, as a community, as shepherds, as brothers and sisters, uh, when, we, when we discover sin in the camp, that is so grievous that it needs to be quarantined, then we need to have the courage and strength to do so. Um, for the ability for rest restoration, you know, let's always remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, yet yeah, purge evil from your midst. Yes, correct. There's a lot of that in, in, uh, in, in Moses. We don't do that very well. But we also, also have to balance it with um, that that mercy triumphs over judgment. So once we have isolated, once someone is in quarantine, that's not where they end. Miriam was allowed back into the community. She was punished, but at the same time she was cured. She had sinned and she was forgiven and restoration was brought in. And so it's very interesting that Moses decides to bring in his sister as the proof text for the how you deal uh, with, with, with this situation. Erin, may I add one thing just to kind of back up what you were saying from a perspective, if you read the, the churches in Revelation, yes. it talks about, um, you know, the woman Jezebel, you know, the teaching to the Nicolaitans and the Jezebel and all the things they do wrong. It says in, in the, the earlier churches, you tolerate. And then the next thing is you um, allow. And then the next thing is you teach it. Yeah. So you can see the progression from tolerating to allowing and then actually teaching this falsehood so that well, evil does progress. A little leaven, yeah? Yeah. That's actually really interesting, Peter. I'd actually never noticed that before. So, yeah, the progression. Once we tolerate, then we allow, and then truth uh, gets changed, then a lie becomes a truth, and then we begin to teach it. Uh, as truth, and oh my gosh, have we have we not seen our churches uh, go down that way? Yeah, pretty it's bad. Just one, one more thought, um, Aaron. This verse eight and verse nine, you get because this is at the end of the forty years, you, you get the sense that there have been cases of leprosy where, for whatever reason, people have not followed the rules and it's gone badly wrong. So right. you know, he's 
he's speaking out of experience from what has happened on certain occasions that no 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 this is just not an empty kind of ritual this really makes a difference this yeah. issue of you know cleansing testing you going to the the um, the Levitical priests who are best placed to have you know, or most experienced in order to judge what's going on. You've got to follow these rules. There are times when it will work out badly if you don't. Hey, Aaron, I also had another thing. You know how Yeshua would go um, to the darkest places, to the Galilee of the Gentiles, and he would go to the lepers and... Um, and then a lot of people say, oh, he violated the, the, the Torah and the prophets. And, and in Matthew, it says he did not come to abolish the law. He fulfills it to the jot and the tittle. And so when he would go to the lepers, would, that would be the, the piqua nefesh, right? Where the, the life over death. So in, in essence, in that sense, just, you know, kind of on a side issue with this whole idea with, with leprosy and, and Yeshua, he never violated because it was literally life over death. Is that correct? Yeah, always. Everything with Yeshua is life over death. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, take any verse and uh, put Yeshua in there and it's, it's, it's life over death. Um, uh, yeah, very good. Okay, guys, I've just looked at the time. Um, I'd like to stop it here because I'm going to stop the recording and then introduce you to our friend Mordecai, uh, who's actually joined us the whole time uh, that we've been studying. Okay, and so he's going to introduce himself. All right. So, brothers and sisters, thank you very much for wrestling with the last words of Moses. Uh, though Moses spoke thousands and thousands of years ago to the people of Israel, these words are still very poignant to us in our community as we, as the people of God, um, take these words of God and do their, our best um, to put them into practice. That is, let's guard our marriages uh, be very careful with our, with our, with our words. Um, let's honour newly married and, and bless them in every way that uh, we possibly can. Let's understand that uh, when we have the poor amongst us, we're not to hinder them or take away their livelihood. No, in, in the complete opposite, which to do our best to make sure that they can improve themselves and, man, and get a job and, and work and have a sense of dignity and more of that uh, will come. And, um, and kidnapping teaches us, as Neville has said, uh, humans are worth so much more than stuff. And uh, too often, though, we have valued our stuff to the, to, the, uh, to the abject poverty of our fellow men, where we have valued our things more than we have valued humans. Uh, and that is a very poor choice to think about. And... Uh, and uh, as well as doing the appropriate responsibility for quarantines and sicknesses and, and all that kind of stuff. Let's remember that sin is the worst sickness that we have in our communities. And we do have to do our best to recognize it, to acknowledge it, to do our best to get rid of it, to purge the evil from us. And, uh, and when some people's sins are so great that they will not relent, we have to have the courage of Paul uh, to go into quarantine, to say, hey, look, brother, you actually have to be outside the fellowship for a while. Um, and that's a horrible thought. But remember, he brought in his own sister as a, as a proof text. Yes, sir? Aaron, these instructions, also known as Torah, yeah. are for the mixed multitude. Yes, they are. Multitude. That's right. Yep, yeah, it's for Jews and Gentiles. 
right? And just as you, as I was discussing with Mordecai not too long ago, yesterday actually, uh, Jeremiah 31, you write these laws where? On your minds and on your hearts. So that's exactly where these rules are meant to be. All right, guys, I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.